as I mentioned, I've titled this series Selections from the Psalms, but the entire book itself is actually a collection. I'm doing selections, but the entire book is a collection of Psalms. And the word Psalms, and if this this is not new information, uh, go along anyway, but uh, uh, the word Psalms in Hebrews, in the Hebrew language, means praises. Rabbis often refer to the Psalms as the book of praises. So the book of praises was a common understanding. The Greek verb from which the noun Psalms comes from expresses the plucking or twanging of strings. So there's a musical element applied to the Psalms. Not only were numerous psalms written so, they were written as songs to be sung, but the children of Israel, for example, uh, the psalms of ascents, Psalm 120 through, one, uh, through Psalm 134, they would sing those psalms while ascending up to Jerusalem on pilgrimage as reminders of God's faithfulness and his worthiness to be worshipped. The Psalms were considered Israel's ancient hymn book. That's pretty cool, huh? The ancient hymn book. And originally probably, uh, obviously, scrolls. But the Psalms were also sung by the early church. Paul encouraged the Ephesian church in Ephesians 5.19, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and making melodies in your heart. To the Lord. As a matter of fact, when I think about uh, the fact that we sing uh, here together, and you can take any psalm and, and you could put a, a tune to it, and sometimes churches have done that. They've taken psalms and just put them to tunes, but the psalms can actually help you with your prayer life because sometimes it's hard to talk, but it's easy to hum, right? And so you can take a psalm and just, just, just kind of take a tune and just hum it, anything like that. It's not just a worship, but actually uh, helps with our prayer life. But the book of Psalms, it's laid out as 150 chapters. And it's divided into five separate books within the book of Psalms. So you have the 150 chapters, be a five books inside the larger collection. And it's believed that they were organized into five books relatively soon after the completion of Psalms. Jewish tradition ascribes the five books of Psalms corresponding numerically to the five books of the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, said that the five books in the Psalms are to correspond, uh, at least that was what was taught uh, by many uh, rabbis. There are 116 Psalms that have superscriptions of titles. So you'll see that in your Bibles. You'll see the psalm and then it'll, uh, right above it will actually say some title. And those were in the original Hebrew text as titles just above the verses. There are more than seven composers of the psalms. Most people think of the psalms, they think of King David and that's true. Uh, David wrote the most. He wrote 73 of the 150 psalms. But that leaves a lot of psalms left, right? David wrote 73 of them. The sons of Korah wrote 10, Asaph contributed 12, and even Moses and Solomon contributed 1 and 2 
respectively. Moses has Psalm 90. It's well, well known um, as well. It's certainly one that we'll be doing. Uh, we'll be going through some of the Psalms still remain anonymous and they will probably remain anonymous until we get to heaven. Then God will tell you, this is who wrote it and you were wrong. But uh, they still remain anonymous. Uh, it is presumed that uh, Ezra uh, authored some of the Psalms. Uh, a lot of scholars believe that. Uh, in all the authorship this is pretty cool. The authorship of Psalms spans 900 years in its composition. 900 years to write all 150 Psalms. Imagine a cohesive book that took 900 years of American history to write. We don't even have 900 years. We don't have anywhere near 900 years of history. Imagine a book that took... 200 or 300 years of American history to write and you still have 600 years to go. It's obviously all of Scripture is settled forever in heaven. But that's, that's kind of a mortal in a set. You just, just in our mindset, something that would take that many years. God put a lot of time into putting this book together. The comprehensive nature of the Psalms is that of poetry. Um, you familiar with Song of Solomon, Proverbs, they fit into that as well. Uh, but it's not like English poetry, which is based on rhyme and meter. Hebrew poetry is based on logical parallels. Logical parallels, comparing and contrasting. Uh, Jesus would do this in his parables too, if you notice that a lot of times he would have these parables, these logical contrasts or parallels. And the parallels in Psalms can include a lot of repetition too. You'll see verses start off with the same thing many times or it might skip a few verses and it restarts with the same uh, repetition or opening. The central theme of Psalms, which is exactly why we're going through it, it's not the only reason, but certainly a primary reason, is that psalms, the psalms themselves are about living life in the real world. Living life in the real world. How many of you live in the real world every day? And you've come to know that living life in the real world ain't easy. But we have two dimensions operating simultaneously. One is the horizontal, which is where we live. The horizontal or temporary dimension reality. The fact that when it was raining outside, if you didn't have an umbrella, you're going to get wet. That is a horizontal reality. But then you have this vertical or spiritual reality where God could remind you as the rain comes down, I'm going to pour out the Holy Spirit upon you. Which is something the world can't see, but we know is a spiritual reality of Christ living in us. So we have these, these two dimensions operating. Uh, the second, of course, it transcends our earthly constraints. So we can come in here on a Wednesday night and start to worship and block out the temporal. So let's go back to verse 1 here. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. This word blessed, starting this verse, Hebrew word, Ashrai, and I might have mangled that, but nevertheless, the Hebrew word, and there's a number of translations that uh, use the word instead of blessed. Some of your Bibles may say happy, might start off that way in some of your translations, uh, which is the primary meaning. Happy is the primary meaning here. So if your Bible says happy is the man, that is the core meaning, but it also has the extended 
connotation of a calm contentment. How many would like a calm contentment? Like in your soul, in your mind. So we can read it as happy and calmly contented is the man or woman who does not receive. Look what it says. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. So there is a happiness by rejecting something here. By not not receiving the counsel of an ungodly world, a world that is without God, a world that has rejected God. The truly and happy and contented person also is not attached to the ways of this world. This world wants to stick to us all the time, doesn't it? Sometimes you'll you'll be flipping the channel and you'll hear one thing like, man, why did I have to hear that? Right? The world has a way of attaching itself, but where the, this, this individual, the, the blessed person, the happy person is not attached to the ways of this world. They're on a different path now. They don't walk in the same way. They don't walk to the broad road that leads to destruction anymore. That path that the sinners are on, which leads to destruction. And we're going to get to all that. That's in the six verses. But the blessed person, the happy person, is on a different path now. Yet everybody, I don't meet many people that don't want happiness. Everybody wants happiness. They're trying to find it in some way, shape, or form. But those that remain outside the counsel of God and are not in communion with God cannot be truly at that soul level happy, calmly, contented. It'll be circumstantial. And Paul said that he had come to know that godliness with, godliness with contentment is great gain. Great gain. Verse 2, the psalmist continues, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. His delight is in the law of the Lord, uh, the eye. Terminology there in the Hebrew would say, the Torah of Adonai. The Torah of Adonai, the law of the Lord. And the Torah... When you think of the law, it always referred to primarily as the first five books of the Bible. But it can apply to the whole Old Testament. The, the entire Tanakh can be also inclusive of the Torah. But generally speaking, the Torah, and then even more finite than that, the Ten Commandments. The Torah of the Ten, the Torah of the Pentateuch, the Torah of the entire Tanakh. But his delight is in the Torah of Adonai, this law of the Lord, the godly man, the godly woman, they've been, they've been made godly. They've been made godly by what? Faith. By believing in God. Abraham believed God and it was accounted unto him as righteous. I mean, when the, when the text here is assuming, remember, that the Psalms were written to the people 
of Israel, to the nation of Israel, it is assuming that they understand that faith in God is to believe in God the same way Abraham did which Paul would then write about in the New Testament. So the godly person, uh, none of us are born godly. None of us are walking in here saying, we're really godly. They've been made godly by faith. We've been made godly by faith. We know this from throughout the scriptures, but it's evident here in this verse as well. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and his law he meditates day and night. The one who knows and believes in God, we already know from verse 1 that they're walking with the Lord, not with the world. That they're standing with the Lord, not with the world. That they're sitting in the presence of God, not sitting with the world. We're in the world, but not of the world. Big difference. But this same person, this same Godly individual, they delight. The word shalom. They have peace. They find a satisfying rest in the Word of God. Those of you online, those of you, do you really find a satisfying rest in the Word of God? Man, there's been so many times that I've been restless. And mind everywhere and problems and things to solve. And when I just get in the Word of God, I can literally, literally escape from all of that stuff into the presence of God. But remember, this is also teaching us to walk in the presence of God. To delight day and night in it. Not just when we're having quiet time, because it's a little easier there with a, you know, the American picture. A cup of coffee and your Bible. And it's usually a beautiful lake. But that's not always reality, is it? Sometimes it's spilled milk. It's traffic jams. You got the audio Bible on, right? To those that reject or resist God for their own ways, for their own sins, for their own philosophies, for the values of this world, many of those people that you meet and say I don't want anything to do with God I like life how I'm living it they're irritated by the scriptures give them a verse they don't want to hear that by the way you have, you have friends on uh, I, I do on social media I have a lot of unsafe friends that still, I, don't, I don't know if I, they're friends anymore in the sense that I don't hang out but I'm glad I still have connections and I'm glad, I'm glad I still have contact with and uh, things like that but uh, generally speaking the stuff that I post is about Jesus I don't get a peep from if it's a piece of cake or something stuff like that right uh, not, not, things that, the things that are not important at all sports and stuff like that but again, many people that, again, are, have not come to the Lord, they're irritated by the Scriptures. They won't find time for the Bible. Not going to meditate in it day and night because they can't have, find time to read a verse. They won't find time for the Bible. Rather, they'll avoid the Scriptures because why would, they, why would the world avoid the Scriptures? Because it's from God. The scriptures are from God. That's why people avoid the scriptures, because they avoid God, and they avoid the word of God. 
And if they've re resisted God, they're still at odds with God. Now, people don't know that. I didn't know it before I got saved either, that we were enemies of the cross of Christ until we're brought in by faith and His grace. So, this individual delights in the Word of God, but the rest of the world, they don't want the Word of God. They don't want Him or His Word. When people say, you know, sometimes hear people say, and, and we obviously have a time and history in this country, which we are, for example, the Bible says God created the world. All of our schools teach the world created itself. Right? The Bible says this is what marriage is. Our society says, no, now this is also marriage. God doesn't change his word for our society's preferences. Not at all. He's not backing down from what he said. This is what he created the Garden of Eden. He never said, oh, by the way, it all evolved. You won't find that anywhere in Scripture. But when people say the Bible offends them, what they're really saying is the Bible convicts them. It doesn't offend them. It convicts their soul. It convicts their heart. So they use the word offend, but it's really convicting. Now, you and I can't offend each other. But God has not offended us. He has convicted the world. He sent the conscience. He's given everybody a conscience. He sent conviction, the knowledge of sin, the knowledge of how far we are from the perfection and holiness of God. But, but for the one that has trusted God, they now trust on. And those of you that put your faith in Christ, as I have, we can relate to this. In his law, he meditates day and night. Uh, they now trust on. They meditate on. They lean on. Abide in his word. You know, when I was, um, when I was in high school and uh, before I came to Christ, and we liked to, you know, me and all my friends, we liked to party and we liked to drink and we liked to do all that stuff and all the way until I got saved. And I can see how people started out. I've seen this. Now I'm, now I'm in my early 50s and I've counseled with people. And I can see how people started out doing that stuff for fun. But later in life, it's not about fun. They lean on the bottle just to survive. They lean on drugs now just to numb themselves. They lean on packs of cigarettes just to kind of calm the nerves. I, but it didn't start out that way, did it? It started out for fun. And then later on, they're leaning on that stuff. They need a drink to take the edge off. They need it to survive. I had a grandfather that was a functional alcoholic for years and had a little flask in the desk and everything. And, and he told me this before he died. He, he got saved just months before he died. But God has a different way. He says, I want you to lean on me. I want you to lean on my word. I want you to meditate on it day and night. Literally all portions of the day when you wake up, if you wake up in the middle of the night, a verse can recalm your spirit. And we've all had those times where you can't get some stupid thing out of your mind. You ever try and solve things in the middle of the night? <laughs> of course we do. It's like one of the worst times to try and solve things. And we default to that position. 
Like, why did I have this brainiac idea at 3 p.m. instead of 3 a.m.? But to meditate on it is, is to chew the cud like, like a cow does, just kind of rotating the grass back and forth. Meditates on it day and night. His delight to be happy and delighting in the Lord, it requires what we refuse, which is the ways of this world, but also what we repeatedly receive, which is the Word of God. I've read the Scriptures so many times, and God says, and yes, you're going to keep reading them to the day you die. By the way, the world hasn't stopped pumping its information towards us nonstop, does it? No, while we've sat here, the world has produced thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of tweets and news pieces and television shows and songs just while we're sitting here. This hosts 7 billion people on earth. So there's a lot of information being proliferated nonstop. And God is like, you keep coming back to this well, it'll never run dry. Keep drinking from living water. All, all the dirty water out there is not going to help us. Verse 3, he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Speaking of water, planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither. Whatever he or she does shall prosper. And all of that intentional, like verse 1 and 2, we see the intentionality of uh, the person who cheats. I'm not going to go that way. I'm not going to listen to the world. I'm not going to stand. But I will delight in the law of the Lord, and I will meditate on it, and I will be intentional about day and night preaching the scriptures to myself, meditating on them, praying on them. All that intentionality of the whole, and which is, by the way, if you are able to do that, it's only because you have the Holy Spirit living in you. Because if I didn't have the Holy Spirit, there's no way I would intentionally live in the Word of God. I couldn't stay there. It's too convicting. Uh, even before Sarah and I got saved, we would, uh, we would go to Calvary Chapel, Fort Lauderdale, and we would hear a message. We'd go for like three weeks, and then the conviction would be too strong. We would need a back-to-the-world party break for like six, seven weeks. Because it was just, it was too much. We could, uh, our spirit was either going to have to be in the Lord or not in the Lord. You can't straddle the fence forever. This is a, remember the Hebrew poetry, it's a contrast, a parallel. There's no straddling the fence in these six verses. It's the sinners and the saints. It's the ungodly and the redeemed. By the way, those words offend people, but they're in the Bible. All that intentional abiding, which is Holy Spirit enabled, only the Holy Spirit can help us to abide in that walking with the Lord, which again, we need the Holy Spirit to continue to walk with the Lord, and that meditating upon or thinking upon, applying the Word of God, has a promised result. And here it is. He shall be like a tree planted. Guess who plants us? Jesus. Jesus plants us. None of the plants that I have planted planted themselves in my yard. I've not seen a single one of them get up in the middle of the night out of the garage and go plant themselves. They had to be planted. We talked about Sunday. Sheep have to have a shepherd. Trees have... 
we are planted. Now, it is true that out in the forest, acorns drop and they just get in the ground and they spring up. But that's not the content. It's planted by the rivers. It's going to bring forth fruit. He shall, not might be, not potentially, not it has a pretty good chance. It's got a fighting odds. No, he says, he shall be like a tree planted. Don't you love promises from God? This is an absolute 100% guarantee. Mature and continually watered and fed and nourished by the Lord, just like water nourishes a riverbank tree. Jesus said in John chapter 7, verses 38 39, He who believes in me, we covered this passage several months back. He who believes in me, as the scriptures has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. And those would be us here in 2022. The promise of Psalm 1 and the promise of the Holy Spirit. So the promise of everything we see in Psalm 1 and the promise of the Holy Spirit, they're in perfect unity, of course. Same author, the Holy Spirit of both. Uh, But they're in perfect unity under the new covenant as the Spirit now lives in us. Our soul, as we have the Holy Spirit that we are planted in, our soul becomes a spiritual greenhouse for God to bless Isn't that great to know? Because you and I don't have that capacity. We are like, without the Lord, we're trying, it's like trying to grow an orange tree in the middle of the Sahara Desert. Not going to happen. But then the Lord comes, he drops an oasis there. And he plants us by, in this case, rivers, but it would be, a spring would be the same concept. The promise of Psalm 1 and the promise of, of the Holy Spirit. Again, they're in that perfect unity. And the verse and the promise continues. It goes on to say, whose leaf, here in verse 3, whose leaf shall not wither, and whatever he or she does will prosper. They'll prosper. There'll be success. Jesus said the gates of hell would not prevail against his church. And he didn't mean just the church at large. He means the individual components within the church too. That being us. That's why he sent his disciples and said, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. Because whether Philip has to go this way, or Paul has to go this way, or John has to go this way, they all go with the same power and the same presence in the abiding work of the Holy Spirit. The prophet Jeremiah, by the way, some of you may have read this at different times, and if you haven't, uh, it's a great parallel of this verse, but the prophet Jeremiah was given uh, virtually the same promise and same perspective uh, that we see here in Jeremiah 17.8. It says these words, for he shall be like a tree, sounds very much like verse 3, doesn't it? He shall be like a tree planted by the waters which spreads out its root by the river and will not fear when heat comes, but its leaf will be green and will not be anxious. There's a great word for us today. 
in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. So, Psalm 1-3, Jeremiah 17-8, almost carbon copies of each other. Very, very similar verses that the Holy Spirit gave. Jesus said in John 15-5, well aware of both these passages, Jesus would quote from the, as we saw Sunday, he quoted from Psalm 82, he quoted from all over the Old Testament. But in John 15-5, Jesus gave these words, which were uh, his own. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. You couldn't be planted unless he planted us, but we couldn't grow unless he causes the growth. The water can't even get up the roots. I've reminded myself of this many, many times. Not only that I have to abide, but he's the one that bears fruit. Pastor Chuck used to talk about the, uh, and it's always stuck with me ever since I heard him say it, but, you know, he would talk about when trees, you know, fruit would come out of a tree. You've never seen a tree straining. Mm, I'm going to push out an apple. <laughs> and, and because uh, I was telling my wife the other day, I, I, I go run and I, and, and, and a couple weeks ago I could see that the trees we're dead as a doornail, but they're not. I know the roots are down there. They're soaking up all this water that you can't see. A lot of your growing, brother and sisters, happening when you have storm clouds above your life that you can't see, but the roots are still there. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. And so, but nevertheless, I, I, I said from Saturday, I ran through this one area and I'll run by these trees and there was nothing on it. And then within two days later, I could see where they had, the little buds had burst a little bit. And then I paid the price because I was outside a lot and I woke up in the middle of the night and I could feel allergies coming on already. And, and uh, that, I was like, that my third indication that these things are blooming. So, I mean, there was the visible sign, but then there was the feeling of it. So, heaven, we get better trees and all that. But, um, but again, Jesus said the fruit is from me. It's not from you. You're not pushing fruit out. You're not straining to produce fruit. It just is a work of the Spirit. And of course, Jesus, we know uh, that He, of course, is the Word. Let's meditate on the Word. Jesus is the Word um, that we're abiding in. But again, when you think about us being uh, this metaphor, and Jesus uses the same metaphor that we'll be like trees and that we're going to bear fruit. Uh, D.L. Moody used to say, he loved to say, all the Lord's trees are evergreen. They stay green. They don't die. Uh, they'll, they'll be perpetually living in this lifetime. And of course, uh, we will live into the next. Uh, then verse 3, I just wanted to uh, put up here as well. William MacDonald, he breaks down verse 3 like this. And this might be uh, helpful to kind of take a look at it. He breaks down verse 3 specifically. Uh, Planted by the rivers of water. Uh, uh, a never failing supply of nourishment and refreshment brings forth its fruit in season, displays the graces of the Spirit, and his words and actions are always timely and appropriate. God, God teaches us what to say, when to say, how to say it. And then lastly, its leaf also shall not wither, has a spiritual character that is uh, not subject to cyclical change, but is characterized by continuous inner renewal. And by the way, people that you meet that are mature in the Lord, they don't have these roller coaster 
walks of faith. It doesn't mean that they don't have days that they feel beat up, but they don't take that out on everybody else. They take it to the Lord. <laughs> they keep taking it to the Lord. And so you don't have, um, you, you, you have a, just a continual green freshness that's happening. And again, that's that work of the Spirit. And again, it doesn't mean that we don't have times that we, we're not sad. doesn't mean that there's times that we didn't feel anxious, but we continue to take these things to the Lord. And it allows us to really, as you look at a tree outside, and you see when it endures winter and it endures fall and spring and all the different things, you know, you can see, and obviously these are trees that we have around that aren't even fruit bearing. Uh, God's trees He's saying in the metaphor that his trees are even greater than we see. It's amazing to see his tree that you can go to Maymont and there's a tree there that's older than all of us. And it's like, I think it's, I don't know how old it is. It dates back to 1800s or something like that. But, uh, and they stay strong and they, they've, some of them have survived lightning strikes and all that stuff. But God is saying his tree, not only will they have that kind of staying power, not only will they not budge in difficult times because the tree doesn't see bad times and I'm out of here. They stay right there, but will continue to bear fruit, continue to bear fruit, continue to bear fruit. And remember it says, bring us forth in its season. There's going to be seasons where we bear more fruit than other seasons. That's of the Lord too. It's his, de- it's his decision. I mean, there's times where we say, Lord, man, I, I haven't won one person to Christ in a while. It's his season of fruit. There's things like that in our lifetime. Now, if these attributes, uh, what would you see on the screen there, if these attributes are not happening in everything we see in verse 1 through 3 in our life, uh, we can be sure that in some way, if these things are not happening, uh, and again, not everybody is the same size tree. <laughs> we're, at different, we're at different points, but if we cannot see these attributes taking place in our life, we can be sure that there is something that we're disobeying or not obeying in the counsel of God, or we're not listening to the wonderful counselor, we're still listening to ourselves or someone else if these things are not taking place. Now, as I mentioned at the outset, uh, Hebrew, the Hebrew language uses poetry as parallels, and as I mentioned, Jesus uh, did the same thing with parables. Uh, we see the promise and the security of the righteous, verses 1 and three, one through 3, uh, we have these promises of prospering, of staying uh, in this state of uh, contentment or calmness and this delight. But in addition to the promise of security of the righteous, um, the one that abides and remains in the Lord, there's this other path that can be chosen that the vast majority of the world is still on that path, which is visible or stands in the path of sinners or sits in the seat of the scornful back in verse 1. Uh, to the righteous is the promise to the righteous individual, the one who is in the righteousness of Christ. To the righteous individual is the promise of flourishing and prospering. It's an eternal promise. But as we saw on Sunday, Jesus said, no one will ever pluck them out of my hand. But to those who refuse the wisdom of God and the grace of God, it's a promise of judgment, which... As I mentioned uh, two Sundays ago, talking about hell, it's not a topic that I ever enjoy talking about, hell. But it's in the Bible, so I have to teach it, 
I have to preach it. I have to share it with people. Whether I, God didn't ask me if I liked the topic. He's like, teach, Paul said, I have not shunned to teach you the whole counsel of God from Genesis to Revelation. If it's in there, we have to talk about it. We have to tell the whole truth, the whole counsel of God. But there's this promise of judgment that the world needs to know. The Holy Spirit, one of the promises Jesus said the Holy Spirit would bring the conviction of sin, righteousness, and the judgment to come. The Holy Spirit would remind people that there really is a judgment. Um, And so in verse 4 it says, The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. In the end, those that reject the counsel of God, that reject the grace of God, that reject the mercy of God, will not prosper. Worse than that, says they'll be carried away. Even the scriptures talk about the angels carrying people to judgment. The wind uh, will, just like the wind carries and discards the worthless wheat husk, when they, it's the chaff here is the husk, the seed was valuable. The seed would be turned into meal, it would be turned into flour. But the husk would just blown away, carried away by the wind. So there's the promise of judgment here. Verse 5, Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. He continues by paralleling the fact that this is the person who's chosen not to abide in the Lord, has chosen not to meditate on the law of the Lord, who does not delight in the law of the Lord, but has run the other direction from the Torah, from the Torah of Adonai. They don't, they've not wanted to hear the word of God. It wasn't that they were offended, but the conviction, instead of actually using that conviction to come, it's been a resistance. Just like the seed of wheat and the husks are separated, uh, he says, the ungodly are not so, Verse 5, therefore the ungodly shall not stand the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Righteous, So there will be no unrighteousness among the righteous family of God when God brings this world to an end and brings all of humanity to the end of time. There'll be a separation, just like the wheat and the husks are separated, just like the sheep and goats are separated in Matthew chapter 25 that Jesus talks about. Sinners, those that died in their sins, you and I were all born as sinners. Now we're the redeemed of the Lord. Let the redeemed Lord say so. We, we were born as sinners. Everyone's born in sin. But sinners, and then you have the righteous, those who are covered by the righteousness of Christ. And again, uh, these other parts of Scripture that inform us, they keep us humble about these things. Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians 1.30, you are in Christ Jesus who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. The fact that, that the unrighteous will not stand with the righteous is not because of anything we've done. It's because of what he's done for us. But we received his righteousness. We received who became, Christ became righteousness and sanctification and redemption for us. So the whole six verses of Psalm 1, it reveals just two paths. Two paths. God's path, man's path. J. Vernon McGee said, two men, 
of this passage, of speaking of, of Psalm chapter 1. Two men, two ways, two destinies. One is a dead-end street. It leads to death. The other leads to life. God says what is right and wrong. We are living in a day when folks are not sure what is right and wrong. God is sure. If you ever heard Jamie Burnaby preach, you know how he sounds saying this. God is sure. His word does not change. Psalm 1 is the same now as it was 2,000 years ago. Hasn't changed one bit. Finishing up with verse 6 here. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. The Lord knows the way of the righteous. He knows the way you and I came into faith. He knows our every step that we take, the steps we're going to take tomorrow, He knows our way. He knows that He alone is the one that will take us from this life to heaven in the blink of an eye. He knows, you, you and I do not know the path from here to heaven. We're trusting that Jesus knows that path. And we're there to be absent from the bodies to be present with the Lord, as Paul wrote. But the ungodly, those not of God, those that have still chosen this world or are choosing themselves instead of God, they will sadly perish. But the way of the ungodly shall perish. The Hebrew meaning of this word perish it means to vanish, to be destroyed, to give up what was lost. In other words, it's the opposite. The word lost is the opposite of saved. But it's not just lost. It's also to be destroyed. It's to vanish. It's to be put away for all eternity it's the opposite of us being saved and being found and rescued by God. Instead, it's to be judged by God. And by the way, that whole concept offends people like crazy. But the same people are offended by that don't mind meeting out justice anywhere and everywhere that they feel it's warranted. If they feel like someone has crossed them, they can cuss them out. If they feel like somebody deserves to get hit, they can hit them. They just feel like someone cut them off traffic, they can pull out a gun and shoot them. Whatever, you know, every, all across society, and give you peace of your mind, I'm getting mad, I get even. Everybody is their own God, and God's like, at the end, I'm not asking if you agreed with what I put in the scriptures. It's too late at that point. But people that are offended by the fact that God will bring judgment. And I, and I, I find, and even... Um, wrap it up on this about, you know, again, people being offended by these kind of things because this is crystal clear that God is going to reward those that come to him and there's going to be judgment for those uh, that reject him. But again, I, I will I'll read the comments of people on Twitter and stuff like that and everybody has made themselves a little throne that they, that they sit on judgment on. They say, you're wrong, this person, if we'd have done this, if you'd have, I'm like, None of you people are God. Very limited information. But, but really, 
adamant, and so and so should pay for this, and this they should be arrested and thrown in, and lock throw them away. You know, politician so and so never see the light of day. God's going to roll tape on everybody and all the things that they thought they'd even say. They were accusing, matter of fact, almost everything that people in this world could accuse other people of, they themselves have done 8,000 times. That's why it's good just to run to the mercy of the cross. Amen? I am not trying to defend my past with God. <laughs> it's like, Lord, have mercy on me. Amen? And that, that's the only, the, the two paths, that's all it is. It's one is a surrender to God, and the other one is, I will not surrender to God. And we see the sad reality. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous. It's a beautiful thing to be known by the Lord. But it's a horrible thing to hear, depart from me, I never knew you. To hear, I never knew you. He knows the way of the righteous. He knows us by name. He gives us a new name. If we've been rescued by God, as we kind of bring it to a close here, if we've been rescued by God, brother and sister, it's past time. It's definitely time, but it's even past time. It's time for us all to abide in Him. That we might flourish in Him. That we might bear fruit in every season and some in more seasons than others, but that we would bear fruit by clinging to the Word of God and perpetually, and even those times when there's not fruit growing, at least our leaves will be green, right? You at least have that. Not like the winter trees here, but perpetually cleansed. We're perpetually cleansed by the Word, convicted by the Word, comforted by the Word, but it's the Holy Spirit speaking through that. It's the Spirit that living it. We're planted in the Spirit. Our river is inside of us, and it's the Holy Spirit. Amen? And that river, He transfers from His river, becomes rivers of living water out of us. That's what Jesus promised. He will never fail us. His promises are true. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank You again that your word is true. We can hear it many times, Lord, but we pray that it would have a deeper sinking into our inner man, our inner woman, the depths of our soul, that, Lord, even tonight, we leave here even more convinced that your word has chain-breaking power, has life-giving power, has problem-solving power, has sin-defeating power. Lord, it has refreshing our mind, Lord, the, the renewing of our mind that Romans chapter 12 talks about. Lord, we pray that uh, we would truly, even tomorrow, every single one of us, Lord, would he hear these verses again in our mind. And we'd meditate on them. We'd chew on them. And Lord, that they would be living water springing up. And Lord, that they would not just be in our minds, but the word of the Lord would come out of our mouths and minister to a world that needs to come off of that path that leads to destruction to that path that leads to happy, blessed, calmly contented. For it's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Help us to grow by your grace. Amen. You are dismissed. Have a great rest of the evening.